Well, right now we're, we're in a series that we've titled On Off. It's in the middle of our Ephesians series uh, because in, in Ephesians chapter 4, there's this idea that as we are now believers, God's called us to put off the old self with its practices and to put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so the last couple weeks and this week, we're getting really practical on what that looks like, what, what God is calling us to put off and now to put on. And so that's what we're going to dig into and, and, and really spend a lot of time on. So just kind of a disclaimer at the beginning, and I want to tell you where we're going. Uh, I'm going to read just two verses, Ephesians 40, uh, 4, 28 and 29. And then we're going to pray one more time, and then we're going to walk through those verses just word uh, by word. But before I do, I want to just give us an encouragement. Because if you're anything like me, um, typically it's just kind of weird to be read to as an adult. Right? That's just a weird feeling. Like, we really enjoyed it as kids, um, but that's just a weird feeling um, as an adult. And for me, it's easy for, to, to zone out in that time of reading Scripture. But I, I want to tell you, this is the most important time of the entire sermon. I don't have anything of value to share with you, but God's Word is living God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword. God's word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, and instruction in righteousness. And so that, that's been my prayer all week. That's my prayer this morning is that, that God's word would speak to us. And so my, my only goal is just to bring greater clarity to God's word. So maybe just give us some handlebars. But, but uh, the word is what's important. So I'm going I'm to read, starting at verse 28, and we're going to pray one more time, and then we're going to dig and it says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those that hear. Lord, I just pray that you would bless the reading of your word. God, speak to us. God, I pray that, that people would be set free from sin today. God, I pray that relationships would be reconciled today. I pray that, that marriages would be healed today. God, I pray that, that we would be convicted by your word. God, pierce our hearts. God, may it not be my words, but yours. We pray these things in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so what we're going to focus on, I said we're just going to kind of walk verse by verse, and we're going to camp out in this very first section of 28. It says, let the thief no longer steal. Right, Pastor Hyden delivered an incredible message last week that was tough, and this one's going to maybe be a little tough this week as well. He told us to, last week to stop lying. And this week I'm telling you, stop stealing. Stop stealing. And right now, if, you, if you're like me, it's easy to kind of hear that and read over that. And, and the Lord is like, man, why am I here? I, I'm not a thief. Because it literally says, let the thief no longer steal. It's like, well, well, this isn't for me. And while I was studying this, I was reminded about because this is where my mind goes when I think about stealing. When I was 16 years old, I got my first ever job at Subway. Um, I was the greatest sandwich artist to ever walk the earth. <laughs> And, uh, man, it was an awesome job. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and one of the things that was interesting, what, what, what my mind meant here, is there was one night, I'd been working there like seven or eight months, and I was speaking to my manager. We had just closed. And I heard the, the ding of the door go off when somebody comes in. And when I look up, there, there's two masked men with guns 
running my way. And the first gentleman, he sticks a pistol in my face and um, asks me politely to get on the floor. While the other takes everything from the register and then opens the safe and takes everything from that. All the while, the, the, the other guy is, is, is taking the wallet out of my pants. And they instruct us to, to crawl to the back. And in a minute and a half, it was over. The scariest minute and a half of my life. And that's, that's where my mind goes when I think about this passage where it says, stop stealing. And maybe, maybe that's you, that you think of these type of scenarios, these, these type of, of incidents or, or problems. Like a, a bank robber or, or someone stealing a car. But, but God reminded me again about that job at Subway. Because I, I was blessed to be able to have 50% off anything that I wanted there. And what was so cool about that is I could make the sandwiches exactly how I wanted them. Right? I was doing like four kinds of cheese, like triple meat, like the good stuff. But one of the things that is because there was cameras everywhere to just kind of make sure, like, have whatever you want. Just pay for it. Half of it. But, but I knew there was no cameras in the freezer, so I would regularly sneak in there and steal some cookie dough. Now, this is kind of confession time. Some of you are thinking, like, that might be worth getting a job at Subway, some, some cookie dough. But look, what I was convicted about when, I, when God reminded me of that this week, uh, Paul was saying, hey, stop both of those. The, the thief with the gun with arm, right? He said, stop it. You stealing your cookie dough, stop it. Stop stealing. So, so I believe that there's, there's probably an area in each and every one of our lives where, where, where we're committing the sin of, of theft. That God wants us to stop. So that's what I want us to spend a little time just looking at um, some, some different questions or, or areas that, that we might be stealing and we don't even realize it. I don't know about you, it's easy for me to rationalize something that I'm doing. Right? It was really easy for me to rationalize the, the cookie dough. Or, or, or maybe it's leaving the tags on a shirt that you're just going to wear for a wedding that you didn't want to go to so that you can return it. Or maybe it's never returning something that you borrowed. I know that one hit me personally. Like I had to confess after the first service about someone in the room that, that I've done that to. Maybe it's stealing your neighbor's Wi-Fi. James 5 even talks about how an employer can steal from his employees by not paying an honest wage. And on the reverse side of that, how an employee can steal from his employer by putting in half the effort. Or they can steal from, from their employer by maybe just scrolling when they're supposed to be working. There was a study done recently on the average company that has 50 employees. They would save $185,000 a year in labor if they just put filters on their internet. Is that, is that an area you might be guilty of? I know I am. Right, but when it comes to stealing, it's not just monetary things. Right, you can steal credit that belongs to somebody else. Right, someone gets, you get praised for something that you didn't do, but you don't correct them. Or in 1 Corinthians 7, it talks about how you can steal from your spouse by withholding the marriage bed. And then we continue, you can steal from your kids by, by staying late at work too often. Or you can steal 
intimacy from an individual by leading them on with no intentions of ever going any further. We can steal from people by by manipulating them through flattery to get something that we want, that we think we deserve. And guys, then it gets even worse. We can steal from God. Matthew talks about King Herod, how he stole glory from God. Glory that was uh, deserved to him. That's a terrible place to be in. And then Malachi 3, it talks about that. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. I'm going to allow the word just to speak. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Now, don't get mad at me. That's the word. That's not for me. So, so now I ask you the question. No, no hand raising. You don't have to answer me bold, verbally. But are you stealing? Are, are you stealing? Maybe even a better question is, is what areas are we stealing? Right, we might just be safe to assume that, that, that we probably are in some way. And Paul just is, is really cut and dry here, really clear. He said, just stop it. Stop stealing. But it's not just enough to just say stop stealing. I'll tell you, even while I was preparing this message, uh, God brought to my memory Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 21, it says, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? Like, that was dangerous. And, and I was, I was uh, preparing this message, that list that I kind of gave you, I, I was thinking about taking credit for it, but it, it's, in reality, the guy that actually kind of formulated all those, those phrases and questions is J.D. Greer, pastor of Summit Church in Raleigh, uh, North Carolina. It's like, even while I'm preparing this message on stealing, I'm thinking about stealing. I just want to be transparent with you guys, like, like, this is not something that, that's just, just those people that, that rob people with guns. Right? This applies to us. And Paul's just really clear. Hey, stop stealing. But he doesn't stop there. He continues in verse 28. It says, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. But rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Now, I'm part of a generation where that's offensive. For, for, for so many people in my generation, like I, I imagine, I don't know this for certain, but I imagine like the most searched thing on Google is probably, how can I make a ton of money doing nothing? Like I want to do as little as possible, but I want to make a whole bunch of money. Right? I almost even think like, like work is a part of the fall. Like in Genesis 3, when sin entered in the world, like, work is a part of that because work is miserable, it's tough, it, I can't stand it. But what, what, what Paul is exhorting us to, say, hey, stop stealing, but then work hard. Work hard. Here's one of the first reasons in Proverbs 13, uh, verse 4, it says, a, sluggard, a sluggard's appetite is never filled. A sluggard's appetite is never filled. I, I don't know about you, but for me, I have times where I'm like, man, I just need a lazy day. For me, a lazy day is where I put, like, as many snacks as I can around my recliner, 
and watch college football for like 13 hours straight. It's like, man, I just need to relax. It's been a tough week. And almost every single time that's ever happened, like I should be ready to conquer the world after that. I should be so refreshed. But it's like I'm never more tired than after that time. Right? I never, I never feel worse than after I've just, just done nothing for so long. Because the reality is you were designed to work. And the slugger's never going to be satisfied. Where, where I get that idea that you were designed to work, in Genesis chapter 2. Now this is before the fall of man. This is before sin entered into the world. This is while everything was still just good and perfect in how God designed it. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. But what that means is that, that God designed mankind, I mean men and, and women, to work. Work is a good thing. It's a good thing. And I, I believe from, from Scripture that, that even in the new heaven and new earth, we're still going to work. It might not be as laborsome as it is now, but God designed us to work. Like one of the things I'm often reminded of is that an idle mind is a devil's playground. Right? Whenever you're focused on a task and zoomed in and working hard for the glory of God, it's hard to allow your mind to wonder to where it'll seamlessly go. To whatever depths of sin it might carry to. Right, so God calls us to work hard. Here's how Elizabeth Elliot, a great missionary for many years, how she says, he says, work is a blessing. God has so arranged the world that work is necessary. And he gives us hands and strength to do it. The enjoyment of leisure would be nothing if we only had leisure. It is the joy of work well done that enables us to enjoy rest. Just as it is the experiences of hunger and thirst that make food and drink such pleasures. So I don't know how else to say it, but work is good. And we were designed for it. Now, now I get that there's people in our society that, that don't have the physical abilities to work. The ability to do something. Maybe it's just, just working your thoughts to honor the Lord. So that's a heavy two things, right? To stop stealing, to work hard. But the reality is we could say that at any business launching, right? We can put that in our, uh, all of our laws, right? That everybody's going to agree with that. But the scripture doesn't stop there. That, that's not enough. It continues in this last part, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Here's what I want us to get here. Like, if you don't get anything we, we've already said, if you don't get anything going forward, I, I want you to get this point. Because I believe Paul is talking uh, far more uh, than just about stealing. I don't, I don't believe that that's Paul's only goal here is just to stop stealing and work hard. I believe he had this reality in mind, that it's not all about you. Look, it's not all about you. Because when it talks about stealing, um, that's one of the ultimate selfish things we can do because you're willing to hurt someone else, to take something from someone else to benefit yourself. Right? That's incredibly selfish. Whatever it may be, you're, you're willing to hurt someone else to benefit yourself. 
And the reason I think Paul's still talking about this, because even the contrast he gives when he says to work hard, he doesn't say work hard so that you can build wealth. He doesn't say work hard so that you can retire early. He doesn't say work hard so that you can take all the vacations you want to take. He doesn't say work hard so you can pay for your kids' college. He says work hard so that you can give to others. Because if you were going to just work hard to do all those things for you, you're still making it about you. But it's not about you anymore. That's the old self that we're putting off, and the new self is no longer about us. First and foremost, it's about Jesus and what he's done for us. And then it's about all those around us. Here's how Tim Keller says it. He says, you have not stopped being a thief, biblically speaking, when you stop taking You have stopped being a thief when you start giving. Like, that's powerful right there. I imagine that there's uh, many of us in the room that that are, like, just not there yet. Like, I I have kind of a a finance background. It's something I enjoy. And I've had a lot of conversations when doing budgeting, different things, where people just, man, I'm in a ton of debt. I got some credit cards too early. Bought some dumb things, and, and I want to give one day. I just can't do it right now. And look, what I believe, when, whenever I read Scripture, when, when I see God's Word, and I, I want you to hear me on this. I really don't believe that past mistakes excuse you from present generosity. Look, we've made some serious mistakes in our life. I have. But I don't believe those excuse us from present generosity. Right? Because it, it doesn't, uh, it's not good to just say, hey, God, I know I'm sinning right now and I'm in sin right now. I'm still stealing from you. But one day I won't be. One day when, when everything's going better, when, when my bank account's looking a lot better, I, I'm going to stop sinning this way. He just says, no, no, stop it now. Stop it now. And look, that's going to look different for, for each and every one of you. That's why Jesus doesn't set a complete standard when it comes to giving. Right? You see all these different things in the New Testament. At one point, he honors the tithe, which is 10%. Another point, uh, he tells the rich young ruler, hey, you've got to give 100% of everything that you own to follow me. What, what he's saying is that, hey, I just need you to step out in faith and trust me. The rest of that Malachi 3 verse where, where it says you are robbing God, he, God also then goes, hey, challenge me. See if you can outgive me. Well, this is what we, we see uh, in Scripture. Uh, when you have Cain and Abel, kind of the first record of offerings given to the Lord, right? God accepted one and didn't accept the other. Why? It wasn't because one gave grain and one gave livestock. It was because uh, Cain gave after his entire harvest came in. He gave when it was comfortable. Look, he, he gave when he knew how much he could lose. Wherever uh, Abel gave of his firstborn. He didn't know what the rest of his livestock was going to look like. He didn't know if he was going to make a single other dollar. He knew this money right here was guaranteed, though. And he gave out of his first and his best. And that's why why God honored, because God honors generosity, because we are never more like Jesus than when we give. Because Jesus gave you his life. 
He gave it all. And look, it's not all about you. It's not all about me. God has more for us than that. Look, if it was all about you, whenever God saved you, he would have just beamed you up into heaven right then. So, oh, mission's complete. But no, God saved you because the gospel was on its way to somebody else. God saved you because he has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of your lives. And one of the ways that you fulfill that purpose and plan, one of the things that the scriptures over and over again is very clear about, is through giving, by meeting needs through generosity. And look, I'll just be transparent with you. If you like feel uncomfortable right now, if you're maybe even upset at me, maybe you've been hurt by church in the past when it comes to money. I want to give you the freedom. If you're like, man, I just just can't give. I just don't like a church that talks about money. Um, Then I want you to go somewhere where you can give. But I just believe it's so important. Jesus says where where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And he talks so much about this. And so I just want more for you in your life. Wherever you're at with your walk, I believe God honors his generosity. And look, it transforms your life. We're reading a book called The Treasure Principle, and he he talks about this idea uh, of really digging into where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Whenever you begin giving to something, you begin to believe in it that much more. You begin to to care about what what it's used. It's like um, where I'm from in Mobile, Alabama. One of the things that was huge was, was travel baseball. Right? They would put thousands of dollars in a travel baseball, and they would stop heaven and earth to make sure they went to every practice, to make sure every, everything they did, because they had invested so heavily in it. What do we got where we invested so heavily in the kingdom of God, we would move heaven and earth to make sure that's where our focus and our full attention is. But guys, it's, it's not all about us. Now, that was kind of a rough go, but that, we're halfway there. As Paul continues in verse 29, he continues by saying, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. And now, growing up in the South, I've heard this this verse kind of badly misapplied at many different times. Where I've heard that the whole meaning of this verse is that you need to stop saying bad four-letter words. And that's the, the whole point. That's it. But, but the reality is this word corrupting is better translated as rotten. Jesus used the same Greek word when he talks about bearing fruit and, and how the, there, there's bad fruit that, that affects the rest of them. And, and the reason I, I bring that up and why that word is so important is because whenever I buy fruit, say strawberries, I, you know, I check out the package in the store. But the first thing I do when I get home, I, I take out every single strawberry and, and make sure none of them are rotten. Because what happens if one of those are rotten, it affects all of those around it. Whenever you have corrupting talk, whenever you talk negatively about others or about things, it affects everyone around you negatively. It affects you negatively. And Paul's saying, hey, stop it. Stop hurting people. Stop hurting. Right? Your words have power. Stop hurting people with your words. 
I don't know about you, but as, as a kid, I heard this phrase probably more than, than any other phrase. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Right? Like, I, I used that this morning. And, and that, that, that's a go-to for parents. But that's not enough. That's not enough. Because that's, that's the first part of this verse where it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. But then it continues, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Look, it's not enough to not, uh, to just stop letting corrupt speech come out of your mouth. What Paul said, hey, hey, don't just stop tearing other people down. Start building up. Start building others up. That's what, what, what uh, we're called to as believers, man. Uh, I could just think of so many different times in my life. I, there's one job in particular where the only conversations that me and my coworkers could have was to talk negatively about others. And that was such a miserable time in my life. And it made all of us miserable. Right? Because uh, that, that's so uh, rotten and it affects uh, your attitude and so many things about you. Proverbs, it says it like this. It says, whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Like if, you, if you want some more positivity in your life, if you want to be encouraged, start uplifting and building up others. So not just stop tearing others down, but build others up. Represent Jesus well with your words. And that would be a serious change in our conversations. If we started doing this, John Piper, he says, when the heart full of God's love can draw on the mind full of God's word, timely blessings flow from the mouth. Now, that's deep right there. Well, what he's saying here, hey, if you really want to just really fix your speech, make sure you're building others up, it's not your speech that you need to work on. Your speech is just a symptom of your heart. Because when your heart is delighting in the Lord and when your mind is, is reflecting on the word, timely blessings come out. But the reverse of that is true. If your heart is, is negative and reflecting on impurities and, and other things and, and your mind is, is in a state of just discouragement I'm from the mouth that's going to flow corrupting talk. God has more for you than that. And this church would be uh, that much better if we only allowed ourselves to build one another's up with our words. And then show grace with our words is the, the very last part of the, the verse. What grace is, is, is unmerited favor and undeserved gift. What grace is, is God loved you so much that he saw you while you were lying. He saw you while you were stealing. He saw you when you had corrupt talk. He saw you in all that. And he still said, I love you so much, I'm going to send my only son for you. I'm going to send my only son to die for all your sins, to pay your penalty. And then I'm going to show my power over sin and death in the grave and raise him three days later. Just so that we could have a right relationship with God. That's grace. And what Paul is exhorting us to here in verse 29 is that we are to display grace through our words. So I got two questions to help us think through. Like before we say something, 
Instead of just saying, hey, is this gossip? What if we ask ourselves these two questions? Does this build others up? Does what I'm about to say build others up? And secondly, uh, does this display grace? Right? If we can't kind of answer yes in those, why say it? Why say it? I'll tell you, the reason that I often find myself saying other things is to build myself up, to make myself look better because it makes someone else look negative. But that goes back to the point we've been talking about. It's not all about you. Whenever you really buy into that and you really believe that, there's complete freedom. Whenever you say, man, it's not all about me. I'm living a life for Jesus and then for other people. Man, that really frees you up from your money. That really frees you up from your, from your personal things. That really frees you up from, from saying negative things to others. Whenever we realize it's not all about us, it's about him. And it's about others. So I want us to, to think through what it, would this practically look like in our lives. Like, I want you to ask yourself the, the questions, uh, what areas, what, what things do I need to stop stealing? Or maybe what, what areas um, is it, do I need to start work harder at, at my job? God, thank you for the job. But I haven't been honoring you in the way I worked. Or maybe I'm still stealing because I haven't been generous with what you've blessed me with, God. Maybe I'm still focused on me and my wants, my desires, and just what benefits me. Or maybe you're in a different camp and saying, man, my, my words just, they tear others down. Maybe the, the, there's people in your life. I know this has been like this for me. There's people in your life that almost always, when you are together, y'all have corrupting speech. Maybe you can ask for their forgiveness this week and say, hey, we're not going to do this anymore. I want to live a life that just builds other up. I just want to be an encouragement to those around me. I just want to live out grace. So I want you to think through practically this week, what is this going to look like in your life? Right, because it's not enough to just be hearers of the word. We've got to be doers of the word. So I'm going to pray and just give you an opportunity to respond. And just what that means is, is you can literally think through in this time how to apply God's word.